Hey, thanks so much for checking out Crossview Church Sermons and listening to this podcast. Every week you can expect a message that strengthens your faith and encourages you in your walk with God. You're about to hear a message from our lead pastor, Chris Dirksen. We're in the middle of a series on the seven deadly sins. Tonight is number six and last or next week will be our last one. We've covered so far envy, greed, gluttony, sloth, pride. Today we will get anger, and then next week it will be done in a tasteful way, okay? So just so you know, it will not be, uh, you know, R-rated. I mean, just the word lust, it's already probably not G-rated, but so just so you parents know. But today we are covering anger, okay? Now, words like anger, rage, Uh, What's the other one I looked up? And wrath. Those three words, anger, wrath, and rage. In the NIV translation, those three words come up 477 times. Okay? In other words, anger is a really big topic in Scripture. Many, many verses about it. We can't even begin to scratch the surface. Here's just, I'll just show you one passage. Ephesians 4 is a very famous one. In your anger, do not sin, Paul says. And notice that he just assumes we're going to get angry. Anger is an emotion. Every human being, we're hardwired with the ability to feel anger. But the point is, anger can make us do bad things, right? So in your anger, do not sin. It's not a sin to feel angry. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. Later in that passage, he goes on to say this. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Instead, as Christians, as followers of Christ, we are to be marked by the opposite of anger and rage. We are to be marked by be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ, God forgave you. So, now, I've said some of these things before, but some of them just bear repeating. And so I just want to say a couple of them again, and then we'll get into what I really want to cover today, which is to understand a little bit of why we feel angry uh, what's, what causes our anger to be more or less intense or more or less frequent and how we can diffuse some of that. But first, I just need to say a couple introductory things. And the first one is we all feel angry. Our brains were wired to feel anger, which means that feeling anger is not a sin. If God hadn't made your brain to be able to feel angry, you wouldn't be able to feel angry. So God made you, he created you with the ability to feel anger. So you're supposed to feel anger. And various things can make us feel anger. Anger can be triggered when we feel threatened, when someone else feels threatened, or when we or someone we love uh, experiences injustice. That is what our brains were wired to do. You see a strong person hurting a weak person, your brain is going to react, or it should react. If you're a healthy person, your brain will react with anger. Why? Because you were wired to feel anger, and anger is going to motivate you to take uh, action, okay? So I have to repeat again, this kind of anger is a sin. Get rid of all the bitterness, rage, and anger that leads to brawling and slander. The, The actions that we do out of anger can often be sin, but anger itself is not a sin. In your anger, do not sin, okay? So feelings are just feelings. By the way, this is why, and particularly I speak to us as parents, but if you're a teacher or, you know, married or whatever with your friends, with your kids, with your students, with your spouse, we should really do our best not to make people feel guilty for feeling angry or any emotion. 
Okay? So often, and particularly we as parents tend to do this, right? Our kids are grumpy, and so we tell them, stop being grumpy, which is a really helpful thing, and it works, right, parents? Like, the moment you tell them not to be grumpy, they just stop. Oh, I forgot I wasn't supposed to be grumpy. Like, grumpiness is a feeling. Every one of us feels grumpy sometimes, and none of us feels better after someone tells us, stop being grumpy, Okay? Now, of course, that doesn't mean that we can act out in all kinds of disrespectful ways when we're feeling grumpy or angry or whatever. The point is not, not that these actions are okay, but the point is that we shouldn't make each other feel bad for what we feel. Feelings are just that. They're just feelings. What we do with them can be bad or good, but feelings are feelings. By the way, that, that, that goes with all kinds of things. And too many of us as Christians feel guilty about feelings. By the way, did you know feeling attracted to someone is also not a sin? And you, I mean, we'll talk more about that next week when we get into lust. Lust is what you do after that attraction, but your body was wired to feel attraction. So feeling attraction isn't a sin. Feeling sad is not a sin. Some of us were raised in homes, not myself, thankfully, but I've heard lots of people who were raised in good Christian homes that took the Bible maybe a little too literally in the being joyful department, and it's almost like they tried to force their children to be happy all the time. That's not healthy. Being sad is not a sin. Being depressed is not a sin. Being anxious is not, not a sin. Feelings are feelings, okay? That's really important, okay? Now, in the case of anger, one reason the Bible talks about anger so many times, literally hundreds of times the Bible talks about anger is because anger is a high energy emotion and it's a high energy emotion that God designed to move us to action okay so anger in its good forms is meant to move us to action to protect people we love to protect ourselves to fight against injustice so it's a high energy emotion that propels us into action now that very thing that God designed anger to do, propel us into action, to protect, uh, on the bat flip side means that it overrules our logic. It makes us unafraid to do stupid things. It makes us unable to think logically because that's how it overcomes. Like normally, logically, uh, you know, something's bad is happening to someone else. Your logical self would be like, I don't want to get involved in that because I could get hurt. But anger takes over and you just go in there. Well, that same thing that makes anger good is the same thing that makes it very dangerous and makes us do when we're angry, we end up doing all kinds of stupid, sinful things, okay? So two parts to this. That's just a little bit of the intro, okay? So two parts now I want to talk about. First is, where does the intensity and the frequency of our anger come from? So we're going to spend some time looking at that from a psychological perspective and then finding that in the Bible, and then second of all, how can we diffuse and channel our anger, okay? So that's what today is about, okay? So first part, where does the intensity and frequency of our anger come from? And I'm going to first just, I'm going to spell out for you a psychological model that I think is very good that psychologists use. And then I want to show you how you can see this in Scripture. So we're going to look at a famous Bible story where we see some of these things at work, Okay. So roots of anger and the intensity and the frequency of the anger you feel. Well, all anger starts with some kind of trigger event, okay? Now, the trigger event, I, I don't have a number here because this is not the point of where your anger actually comes from. The trigger event is just the event that gets your anger going, okay? So, for example, trigger event could be 
someone, you're on your way to church, and someone cuts you off, okay? Now, actually, because we're on a Saturday night, you're probably more relaxed on the way here. Probably very few of you are in a very spiritual mode. You were in constant prayer and communion with the Father. And uh, so none of that happened. You didn't fight with your spouse or your kids or anything on the way to church. Great. But during the week, okay, when you are far from God, okay, but someone cuts you off. And now, so that's an event. Now, that's a trigger event. Boom. Okay. Something happens in you. A normally logical, reasonable, gracious person. You're a Christian. You give to the poor. You do all kinds of wonderful things. And in that moment, you become a, a raging lunatic. Okay? Now, the thing is, so that's the trigger event. Now, the thing you have to understand, though, is we think the trigger event is the problem. But the trigger event is not actually where your anger is coming from. And the reason I know that is because another person in that exact same situation doesn't feel anger. Okay? Or even you in a different situation. There's a difference between you being late for work and the person ahead of you counts to three at the four-way stop sign. <laughs> See, and I know, and everybody who laughs, you are the guilty ones. You know. It's like, ah. But if you're just out for a Sunday drive and it's beautiful weather, not like right now, but it's beautiful weather in summer and you just want to take your time driving around, you're the one who's counting to three or four or five at the four-way stop sign. But this, so the same event might trigger or might not. That's because it's not the event. The event's not the problem. It's the stuff happening inside of you that is the problem. Now, the real questions, though, are, so we haven't gotten to any of the roots of anger intensity. We've just talked about the trigger. But now let's talk a little bit about why some people feel more angry or less angry, and some people feel angry more often, and some people feel anger less often. And the first thing is, it's tied to your disposition and personality. It's not really fair. Like, sometimes we just think angry people are the bad people. Well, some people are just wired differently, okay? One is genetic disposition. You inherited, the, you had no choice in the matter, you inherited DNA from your mom and your dad, in that DNA, for some people, you are more easily going to feel angry. And when you feel that anger, it's just the way your DNA and your cells and your brain is all wired. When you feel angry, you're going to see red. You're going to lose your marbles. And that is all tied to your DNA. Now, again, you're like, oh, sweet, he's giving me an out. I'm not saying your behavior is okay. I'm saying you're genetically predisposed to feel anger more than others. Now, some of you are completely even keel. You feel nothing. I have a brother-in-law who is like this. When he is super happy because his team won, won the Super Bowl, he's like this. And when his team loses the Super Bowl, he's like this. And when he has a near-death experience, he's like this. Meanwhile, me, I'm like, pew, pew. From the heights to the lows, right? Now, funnily enough, sometimes in marriages, but a lot of that is just genetic, Right? these people find each other somehow in marriage, right? And you got the one who is just like phew, life. They just feel the same all the time. And you have the other one who's from minute to minute. It's like you got to just check in. Where are you at? Hot, cold? Amen. Yeah, amen. Someone's, someone's feeling it there. Maybe you shouldn't have said that. Your wife's right beside you. Okay. Now, the second, so there's genetic. There's also personality traits. And there's all kinds of stuff that goes into this. So, for example, competitive people. Competitive people who play games will lose their tempers, and non-competitive people could play the same game, they won't. So my sister Julie, growing up, 
it used to make me so mad that she didn't get mad. She didn't care to, if she lost. In fact, it was just horrible to play games with her. Do you not care? Well, no. She could roll a dice, whatever the dice came out. She could pull a card, whatever the card came out. Didn't matter whether her luck was good or bad. It seemed to always be good when she played against me. But whatever the case, she just didn't care. She never got mad. Meanwhile, me? Oh! And you'd be embarrassed because you knew, okay? Ah, oh, shoot, I lost my temper again. Next time, I'm not going to. It's just a dumb game. It doesn't matter. And I'd play a game, and there, it would happen again, right? Now, again, that doesn't make it okay. The point is there's different There's There's competitiveness, there's, you know, you have high achievers who their, their, their life just revolves around just achieving. They're often very successful. They do well in life. Those people often, the flip side of that is they often are quite impatient. They just, they're go, 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 go. Well, impatient people, whether it be in traffic, whether it be on the phone, they're, again, they're more likely to feel angry. And then there's laid back people. And it's just like, who cares? They show up late, you show up late. They just take life as it is. It's really nice to have some of those people in your life, okay? But a lot of that is just this, okay? So a trigger event, losing a game. One person, based on their personality or genetics, doesn't bother them. The other person completely bothers them, okay? So disposition and personality is part of it. The second thing is your state of mind in the moment. Also huge. So quite aside from your genetics and your personality... There's also this other thing of like, okay, in any given moment, if you are exhausted, you will lose your temper more easily than if you aren't. Like some people, you just analyze yourself way too in, in way too complicated of a way. It's like, oh, my character is just so bad. My God, it's, so, it's just so bad. And it might be bad, or you might just not be sleeping enough, and you might be, you know, doing way too much. You might be saying yes to too much. Because when you're exhausted, so let's go back to that you're in traffic and someone cuts you off. If you're on your way home after a night shift and it's been a long week and you're mentally and emotionally exhausted, you're more likely to lose your temper. If you just got up from a beautiful sleep and you had a good breakfast and you're just out for a drive and you got nowhere to go, that's the same thing. You're not tired. If you're late for a meeting, more. If you're stressed, if you're anxious, if you're scared, all of these things are going to make it much easier for you to lose your temper. By the way, right there, just knowing that, there's a whole bunch of practical stuff you could just do for yourself right there. Just becoming more aware of how exhausted you are and stopping and making time for some rest is a huge thing for you to get more of the fruit of the Spirit of not being angry. There's some very practical things you can do on that side of things, okay? Now, the third thing is... So we got your disposition, personality. We have your state of mind in the moment, whether you're in a hurry or exhausted or late for a meeting. And then lastly, you know, this first one you can't control. You can control your actions, but you can't control your, your personality. You can't control the DNA you got. Your state of the mind, you have some control over it. Like you should get enough sleep and you should take time for rest. You should be aware of yourself. This last one you have full control over. Okay, this is the one you have the most control over. And this is your interpretation of the event. When that person cuts you off in traffic and your thought, even if it's subconscious, is like, what a wicked, unsafe, terrible person who just doesn't care about anyone. If that's just your subconscious interpretation of the event, that's not a fact. That's your interpretation. If that's your interpretation, you're going to lose your, you're going to flip your lid. If your first subconscious assumption is, I bet you they are on their, they're rushing to the hospital. Some people are just like that. 
you just assume the best about everybody. I bet you they're rushing to the hospital. Get in there. You go. Okay? Totally different. But it's the same event. Your interpretation changes everything, okay? So these three things, these are the three things that coming together are going to influence how often you get mad and how mad you get when you, when you get mad, okay? So I just want to show you an example of this, how this works in Scripture, okay? Famous story, David and Saul. This is 1 Samuel 18. So David has just killed Goliath. And uh, they're coming back to uh, the big city. I don't, know if, I don't think it was Jerusalem, actually. It would have been in Ben, but whatever the case, whatever town, they're coming home. And uh, so here's what happens. When the men were returning home after David had killed the Philistine Goliath, the women came out from all the towns of Israel to meet King Saul with singing and dancing, with joyful songs, and with timbrels and, and lyres. As they danced, they sang... Saul has slain his thousands, and David his tens of thousands. So most of you, if you've been a Christian for any time, amount of time, you know where this story is going to go. And most of us as modern readers, we read this, and because we're modern, we tend to, to read things very literally. We're paying attention to numbers, because that's how we, we are just raised in that environment. We pay attention to numbers. And numbers mean something, and numbers are exact. Okay? So when we read this, Saul has slain his thousands, and David is tens of thousands, we're thinking, this is an insult. Like, they're putting King Saul down, and they're putting David up. They're insulting King Saul. Now, a couple of reasons why we should question that assumption. First of all, these women would have to be crazy to come out and greet Saul and David as they come back and intentionally, publicly try to humiliate Saul. Okay? Like, this is not something you did it back then. Nowadays... In our country, in our society, we insult our leaders. And by we, I don't mean, I'm not thinking we should as Christians, but that in our culture, we're allowed to, okay? And people do it. In this culture, that could get you killed or worse, okay? So these women coming out and intentionally singing a song, Saul has slain his thousands and David has tens of thousands, doesn't actually make sense. You wouldn't go up to Saul and say, ha, you know, you stink. David's awesome. Woohoo. You don't do that, Okay? The second thing you have to understand is Hebrew poetry and the ancient Hebrew mindset. They don't think about numbers. Essentially, for them, because they don't, when they do their taxes, they're not counting thousands of dollars. This is how much I made. This is how much I'm getting back. They don't, have, they don't even have use for numbers like these. For them, thousands and tens of thousands is just a way of saying a lot. And the second one is a lot, a lot. Okay. They don't have spreadsheets in Excel like us. So when they write poetry, they use parallelism. They don't use rhyming like we do. They repeat things and change them. So when you want to say something poetically and you want to say lots, you would say lots and lots or thousands and ten thousand. Okay? And it's not meant to be a comparison that one's bigger than others. It's just, it's just poetry. Let me just show you a couple examples in Scripture. Psalm 91. He's talking about God, protect, you know, God protecting him. A thousand may fall at your side and 10,000 at your right hand, but it will not come near you. What's, what's the point of this? Is the point here that a thousand are going to fall on your left side and 10,000 on your right and God's going to protect you? No, the point is not that there's more on the left and, or more on the right and less on the left. The point is just no matter how bad things are going, people are dropping like flies all around you. God is with you and he protects you. This is poetry, not accounting. Micah chapter 6, Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams 
with 10,000 rivers of olive oil. We could go on and on with these examples. The point is not, you know, will God be pleased with less rams and more olive oil? The point is, it doesn't matter how many rams you give them. It doesn't matter how much olive oil you give them. The point is, sacrifice doesn't mean anything to God. What he wants is to love justice. That's in Micah here. And to walk humbly with your God and to, you know, to love. Love God and love people. Okay? So thousands and ten thousand is not a comparison. Therefore, in this song to Saul, these women are not intending to publicly humiliate Saul. They're, they're singing a song. Okay? However, however, as we all know, Saul is going to interpret what they're doing differently. And that interpretation is going to make him feel very angry. Saul was very angry. Why? Because of the song? No, it's not the song. It's his interpretation of the song. This refrain displeased him greatly. They have credited David with tens of thousands, he thought, but me with only thousands. Your interpretation of an event is what causes you to feel anger. By the way, this is the first step to dealing with your anger, because one of the reasons anger feels so real is when you feel angry, by definition, this is what the emotion does. When you feel angry, by definition, you feel that you are justified in feeling angry. Otherwise, you wouldn't feel angry. So by definition, when you feel angry, you feel like the event is making you angry, that you have a good reason to be angry. But the first thing you have to rationally understand before you can get it into your heart part of your brain is that you're not angry because of stuff. You're angry because of your interpretation of that stuff. Just realizing that is a big first step forward. Okay? Now, why would Saul interpret it this way? What's his mindset? What's going on behind the scenes that he would interpret it this way? Well, the problem is, is he is insecure about his throne. And we see this throughout the story of Saul. He is very insecure. He's very jealous. And he thinks David wants his throne. And he thinks David is going to take his throne. And because he's afraid and insecure, he interprets the event. This should be speaking to a whole bunch of us. Because he is insecure and afraid, he interprets everything that happens through a lens of they're trying to take the kingdom from me. What more can he get but the kingdom? And from that time on, Saul kept a close eye on David. He did more than keep a close eye on him. In this same passage, passage, he chucks a spear at him. Okay? So he's afraid. He's insecure. From that, he interprets everything through this lens of insecurity. And then that causes him to get angrier. Now, here's the important point. Your anger says more, like we just saw with Saul. Your anger says more about your interpretation of events than it does about the actual events themselves. The events are real, but your interpretation of the events is why you get upset. This is so important to understand. And there's two, I mean, there's, there's so many different ways we interpret things wrong. This is just a, a sermon. We don't have time to go through all of them. But I'll, I'll look at two things that we tend to interpret, but when you get mad, you won't feel like it. It never feels like an interpretation. When you're angry, it always feels like facts. Anger, by definition, makes you feel very certain. It's why you should not trust yourself when you're angry. Have you ever felt when you're angry, have you ever been just losing your mind, and then you're just like, hmm, I wonder what both sides of this 
equation are. I wonder what bull, I wonder what the other person thinks. You can't think that way when you're angry. When you feel angry, you feel 100% correct. And everybody else is 100% wrong. And that is why you should 100% distrust everything you're doing when you're angry. Okay? So you're interpreting all kinds of things. So I'll just show you two, two kinds of things we tend to interpret that are not facts. Things we interpret but don't know. When we're angry, we know, we feel we know, we feel it's a fact that we know what the other person is intending to do. We know that person that cut us off is being a jerk. They don't care. Some idiot. Some moron. He's, he's going to kill someone. He doesn't care. You, and you know that to be a fact. No, you don't. That's an interpretation. God alone knows people's motives and intentions. Even when you think you know, you don't know people's motives and intentions. Okay? And the other thing that we, th we interpret, but we think we know, by the way, going back to Saul, on this one, it just feels so real to him. Of course David's going to take the kingdom. Of course, it's so real. David keeps telling him, I don't want a kingdom. Can I cut a piece of your robe off? See, I could have taken the kingdom. I don't want the kingdom. I don't want the kingdom. And Saul's certain you want the kingdom. He just knows it to be a fact. Why? Because he's just mad. He's insecure. The other thing we interpret and we think we know is the future. This is a really big one for us human beings. Often when we get angry, we're angry because of something we fear is going to happen. And when you are angry, you feel like your fear of what's going to happen is a fact. It is going to happen. If you continue to stay out past your, your curfew at 1030, you are going to end up on drugs and homeless and you're with a kid and it's just going to be bad. And you completely lose sight. So it's, but you, it's, just, it's just so real. The future is so real to you. This has been... By the way, this is the story of probably almost every conflict in human history. I mean, let's just take the, the easy fruit. Hitler, World War II, and, and the Holocaust. Okay? What did he do? Like, sometimes people wonder, like, how on earth? You know, the whole, the whole country just does this crazy stuff. They kill millions of people. They go to the war. What did Hitler do first before he could get anyone to be enraged and to start killing? He first just made them fear the future. He told them a powerful lie, a horrible lie, but he told it to them over and over again. It's called propaganda. He lied to them over and over and over again, and he told them a story that these Jews, there's a small band of Jews. It's like the Illuminati. Some people today, and maybe some people here today, still believe in the Illuminati. There's this little cabal. In Hitler's case, he said it was the Jews, and they control all the banks, and they make all the wars, and they make money off the wars, and their whole goal is to enslave the German people. You make them fear the future, and it becomes so real to them. Now, up out of the fear, just like with Saul, comes the rage, and now you can get the killing. Same with, I mean, you can look pretty much any conflict. You look at the, the horrific massacre genocide in 1994 in Rwanda, from the, the, when the Hutus massacred in 100 days, they massacred almost a million Tutsis in the most horrific ways. Horrific. But you know what preceded that? It's not like one day the Hutus all just go, oh, let's, let's just go killing. No. 
For years and months in the lead up, on the radio, they were constantly telling stories about what the Tutsis were going to do. They're going to take over the government. They're going to make us slaves. They're, they disrespect us. They would tell story after story after story of how horrible the Tutsis were. Well, eventually, all the Hutus were terrified about the future, and it felt like fact. It didn't feel like an interpretation. It felt like a fact. This is a fact. The Tutsis are going to take over our country. The Tutsis are going to hurt us. And the next thing you know, phew, now you just unleash rage. By the way, on a much smaller scale, we see this more and more in our society today. I'll use political terms. Liberals tell each other stories about the evil conservatives and what the conservatives are going to do. And they get all scared, and then they get angry. And then conservatives tell each other stories about how evil the liberals are and how scary they are. And the scarier each side gets of the other one, and the more it feels like fact, this is not an interpretation. I know for a fact those conservatives are coming for us. I know for a fact those liberals have an agenda and they are coming to get us. And the more that feels like a fact and not an interpretation, the more scared you get of the future, the easier it is for you to fly into a rage like Saul or Hitler or Hutus or whatever. And on a much smaller scale than that, like I said before, our parents do that with our kids too. We fear for their future. We feel it's a fact and then we overreact. So, what do we do with our anger? With this in mind, what do we do with our anger? Two things. These are, there are many things we could talk about. Oh, by the way, here's just another example. Fear for the future leads to anger. This is from Saul. Saul was afraid of David. When Saul saw how successful he was, he was afraid of him. But what do we do with this? Dealing with anger in the moment. We could talk about long-term things. We don't have time to talk about long-term things. Let's just talk short-term things. Two things. Psalm 4 says this, be angry. Notice that. Be angry. There is a place to feel anger. When you see injustice, when you see wrong, there's a place. Feel the anger. It's going to motivate you to righteous action on behalf of the, the, the weak and the vulnerable. Be angry, but look at this, and do not sin. Notice what it says then. Ponder in your own hearts and on your beds and be silent. So here's what you do with your anger. First thing you have to do with your anger is pause. When you feel angry, okay, you're feeling anger. Now before you do anything, don't do anything. Okay, I'll say it again. Before you do anything, don't do anything. Okay, here I have, I think I have this on the next one. I thought this was cute. I made this up, okay? I didn't get this from anywhere else. Anger can motivate us to act, but we shouldn't act while angry. Like light bulb? Am I seeing any light bulb? Okay, fine. Thank you. Thanks, Chuck, for starting that. Okay? Anger can motivate us to act, but we shouldn't act while angry. So anger, we get angry. Oh, I'm seeing injustice. Or someone did something to me that is unjust. Anger tells me something, something's wrong, okay? Or it might just be, I've been up too long and I need to get some sleep, okay? But assuming it's a good reason to be angry, okay? Now, the next step is, don't do anything. Wait until the anger subsides. Now, think through, what do I need to do? What is the Lord saying? What are wise people around me saying? And how are we going to deal with the problems that are causing my anger Anger should motivate us to act, but we shouldn't act while angry. So, a couple of ways. Let me just, I'm not looking at my notes at all. Getting very lost. 
Here's four practical tips for pausing. Okay, here's a basic one. Just count to 10. This is a good one for parents. This is a good one for bosses. This is a good one uh, for everybody in the construction industry. Uh, I'm just trying to think different. Not that anyone would ever lose their temper or yell at anyone or swear. This is just count. Before you say something really stupid, count to 10. It's the last thing you'll want to do while you're angry, and it's the most important thing you should do. For some of you, you should count to somewhere around 100,000. Okay? Change scenery. But by that, I don't mean, like, don't think Mexico, although that might help you. I'm just thinking, go into another room. If it's a family thing, if it's a work thing, go into another room. Like, count to ten. Just pause. Remember? Pause. Just stop before you hurt yourself and others. Name it to tame it. By the way, there is a lot of science. See, we could do a whole sermon just on that. There's a lot of science. Name it to tame it. Just saying what, saying what you feel and why actually has this marvelous, miraculous effect of integrating the different parts of your brain and helping you feel less angry. So even being able to say to someone, I just feel so angry because of this. But saying it calmly and just saying what it is and why is a wonderful thing. So even if you have to go off into the bathroom and just say, I'm, I'm just so angry because my boss did this or whatever, right? So please make the one-day rule. Before you text or email, I have made this mistake far too often in my life. I make it less and less in my, as I get older. When I was younger, you get angry, send the email. It feels so good to hit send, and a day later, you're just ashamed. You're just ashamed. Wait one day at least before you ever send an angry text or email. I am, like, what I'm giving you here is such gold to actually save your life from all kinds of embarrassment and stupidity. Second thing is express. Now, I just have to explain something here. So dealing with anger in the moment. First, pause. When you're angry, before you do anything, don't do anything. Pause, pause, pause. Second thing, now you've done the pause, comes the express, okay? What does this mean, express? We have three options for dealing with anger, okay? Three. And we all use one of these three every time we get angry, Usually, we subconsciously tend towards one that we primarily use. So there is the people who vent. We'll call that exploding. So when they feel angry, they have a picture in their mind, like that their anger, it's like a bomb. And when I explode, I'm going to feel better. So every time they get angry, they just... And they just blow it all over everything. I'm just angry, and I'm just... That's called venting. Just so you know, that's not good. Number two is we can express in a healthy manner. I'll come back to that. Number three is there's a whole bunch of us who do this one. Because we don't like conflict. We're scared of conflict. We're scared of ourselves when we're angry, which is, that's probably not all bad. And so we just suppress, right? Just, sometimes it gets harder and harder over the years to just get that down. So we can vent, we can express we can suppress. Now, the Bible talks, Bible and research both talk about venting. Here's what Proverbs 29 says, fools. Fools give full vent to their rage, but the wise bring calm in the end. I want you to notice that. Let's just read that again. Fools 
give full vent to their rage. But the wise bring calm in the end. The wise are not the disturbers. The wise are those who bring calm in the end. By the way, uh, recent research shows this to be very true. Did you know this whole concept of exploding with whatever you feel inside when you're angry, that this relieves anger, is not true. Research actually shows that when you explode with anger and you spew whatever you're feeling, you actually increase the intensity of your anger and the longevity of it. So you're actually not releasing it, you're making it stronger when you vent it. So it's actually not helpful. Now, okay, we keep... The, op, the other side of eventing, so some people do this, that's not good. It leads to hurt people, leads to embarrassment. The other side is the suppressing side. Lots of people do this. It looks nicer and it looks more spiritual. Leads to physical problems, emotional problems, and relational problems. In fact, they find that people who do lots of suppressing, they do not know how to express their anger. They end up with higher, uh, sorry, I almost fell over there. I don't know why. Um, but they end up with higher amounts of hypertension, anxiety, cynicism, those sorts of things. Okay? So you actually can't just suppress your anger all the time. I mean, there's times when you just need to let it go. But overall, what we need to do is we need to get into this middle ground, which takes courage, which is expressing your anger in healthy ways. Okay? And so I'll just give you a couple of ideas on that. Express your anger in healthy places and healthy ways. Now, there's so many different circumstances of anger. I'm just literally, well, just taking 10 seconds here. So one way to process anger is with a friend, a mentor, a counselor. When big, horrible things have happened to you that have made you angry, you will need someone where you actually don't have to worry about saying the right things, where you can just go to them. They won't make it worse, but you can just, with them, you can just say what you feel. Okay? That's, you need a healthy place to do that for really big things. But there's lots of little things, and when it, there's just stuff in your relationship, your marriage relationship, someone at work, someone you're friends with, if suppression feels like the easier way to deal with it, it's not a good way, but to talk to them with solution-based, non-blaming, non-inflammatory, can you please stop leaving your dirty underwear all over the floor, honey, please? Don't even say it like that. You can say it, but you just, could I help you with this? I know that you're very busy. And putting your underwear in this basket right over here is just, it's, I know it's very difficult and complicated, but could you please, please, solution-based, okay? And you talk to them. I, I really don't like it when you talk like that to me or when you use that tone. Could we work on a different tone? So it's, you, but you're expressing your anger, healthy places, healthy ways. Finish with this verse. Proverbs 27 says this, Better is open rebuke than hidden love. Wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. If you will have the courage to express to the people you're in relationship with in healthy ways, if you will have the courage to do what the Bible actually says and in calm ways talk about the things that are bothering you, 
you're gonna have, you're gonna be a healthy person and your relationships are gonna be healthy relationships. Now, there's actually a course coming out. This actually just happens to work out. Steinbeck Bible College is actually offering, like this is a really cool practical step. If anything in this message is talking to you, it's like, I got a lot of anger in my life. I got a lot of hurt in my life. I just keep bubbling over. Summit Bible College is offering a four-week course starting this coming week. And I just, it just happens to be starting this week. I did not plan this message this way or nothing. It just happens to be happening. It's called, Will the Pain and Uneasiness Ever End? And it's exactly dealing with some of the issues I was talking about here today. COVID just happened. It was two years of craziness. Lots of church stuff has happened. Lots of stuff has happened. They got some great, I've looked at an overview of the materials. It's really good stuff. It's running Tuesday nights. That could be helpful for some of you. For the rest of you though, I want you just to close your, to bow your heads right now and close your eyes. What is one, whoops. What is one thing you want to take from this sermon today? Are you a suppressor? Are you a venter? The Holy Spirit would love to give you a vision for courageous relationships with honest, healthy communication. Father, we each want to take just one little thing from this message today. Would you help us to walk in our families, our neighborhoods, our workplaces, in our society in a wise way? Because the wise bring calm, not friction. And may we be the peacemakers that our modern society so desperately needs us to be. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast today and being part of what God is doing here at Crossview. A special thanks to those that are giving generously to this ministry. It's because of you this ministry is possible. If you enjoyed the sermon, why don't you subscribe to the platform you're listening to right now and let us know that you're listening by sharing and tagging us on social media. If you want to learn more about this ministry in our church, you can visit us at crossviewchurch.ca.